The parable of the prodigal son really sets forth for us the riches of the gospel of God's redeeming grace. It demonstrates for us the nature of true repentance, that of the penitent sinner drawn by God's sovereign, irresistible grace from the far country of sin to Christ for forgiveness. And the Lord's readiness to welcome, save and bless those who come unto him for salvation. The great theme of this particular chapter is found there for us in the verse number 2. This man, speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man, he receiveth sinners. You will find we are confronted here this morning in this particular parable with the young man known as the prodigal son. And you will see here his longing to get away from the influence of the father's house and to go into the far country, the place of sin, rebellion and of rejection. You'll find here that this prodigal sin, it brought him into a state of want. The verse number 14 reiterates that for us. And we find here that the pleasures of sin, they truly only satisfy for a season. You see, the pleasures of sin, they can never truly satisfy the soul of an individual. True happiness, true peace and blessing are found alone in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The prodigal sin, it also brought him, you will find here, into a state of bondage in the verse 15. The sinner makes provision for the flesh to fulfill all the lusts of the flesh. And that is no better than in this particular picture of feeding swine at the swine trough of the old world. You see, the God of this world, he hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. And so we find that men and women, boys and girls by nature, are held captive to the bondage of sin. And that renders them hopelessly enslaved and it finds them at the swine trough of the world in the far country of sin and far from the blessings of the Father's house. The prodigal in his sin, you will see, could find no relief for himself in the far country. Verse 16 says that no man gave unto him. And so in vain does the wayward sinner look to the world and to the flesh for satisfaction. This world, you see, has only that which will poison the soul. But it is nothing to give that which will feed the soul spiritually and will nourish it and ultimately will fit the soul for heaven, eternally speaking. The prodigal sin you will see as you read this particular portion here, it brought him actually to the point of death. Verse 17 says, I, I perish with hunger. You see, sin when it is finished, sin when it is finished only bringeth forth death. And sinners that are far from God, if his mercy prevent them not, will soon be lost forever. The prodigal's wretched state you will find here in the far country of sin only faintly. 
It only faintly shadows forth the awful ruin of man because of sin and his natural depraved condition before Almighty God. And so in verse 14 here we read that there arose a, a mighty famine in the land. And you see there always does come a, a famine time for the sinner in their experience. Sooner or later the scripture will be proven true in their experience that the way of the transgressor is hard. And the warning of Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. It will be experienced by you if you are in this condition in the far country like this young prodigal. And so there in the pigsty, hungry, disillusioned, in despair, the prodigal son, we read in verse 17, he came to himself. What an experience that was. You see, now, now at this experience, now at this particular time in his life, he is brought to see things as they really are. He has experienced that sin does not bring true happiness. The pleasures of sin do not last. Now he is brought to realize actually the goodness, the kindness, the devoted love of his father. The blessings found back in the father's house. And he grieves that he has offended and that he has sinned against his father. He realizes that even the hired servants there in, in the blessings of the father's house, they have plenty while he perishes with hunger in the far country at the swine trough of the world. In verse 18 there it says, here, here he, he in his own mind reasons these things. And I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And so he did it once. You see here now in this young man's experience is true repentance. True repentance from sin and the realization that he needs the provision and the blessing of the father's house in his experience as an individual. And you see, at that time, when he is brought to his senses, when he, as we read here, came to himself, you will find that his mind, it was caused to dwell on the blessings and on the provision of the Father's house. In the verse 17, you see the Holy Spirit of God is now at operation in this young man's life, showing him things as they really are. And you will see here that brought powerfully to his mind was the fact that there was bread. Bread in his father's house. And this truth was used to draw him back from his wanderings in the far country. His mind is caused to dwell on the provision of the bread that is found in the father's house. He realizes that the provision of the Father's house is unlimited. Verse 17 says, bread enough and to spare. And here we have a picture of the provision found in the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, we are taught in scripture, is none other than the bread of life. He is the great provision of the Father's house. And you see, for all that is needed to save the sinner from the far country, 
There is found in the Lord Jesus Christ an all-sufficient supply. And so his father, his father sees him. And when he was yet a great way off and had compassion, we find here he ran and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the prodigal, he repents. He confesses his sin. He confesses his unworthiness. And he begins to say, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You'll find right there the father, he, he interrupts him. And right there and then he begins upon this uh, penitent young man. He begins to bestow upon him the blessings of the father's house. And so we want to consider for a short time this morning. What did the returning prodigal receive in coming to the father's house? What blessings were bestowed upon him? In the first place, we find the the father, he says in the verse number 22, bring forth the best robe. Bring forth the best robe and put it upon him. And you see, just like the prodigal, we come as sinners to our heavenly father. How do we come? We come clothed in the filthy rags of our own self-righteousness. This is the worst robe. This is an unclean robe in which we are dressed in our natural condition, feeding at the swine trough of the world in the far country. See, Isaiah 1 verse 6, it says that from the sole of the foot, naturally speaking, even unto the head, there is no soundness in us but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. This is the very condition and picture of uh, this young man, And you see, we need a perfect robe of righteousness in which to be accepted and in which to stand before God justified. The great reformer Martin Luther, he referred to this particular robe of righteousness, he referred to it as an alien righteousness. A righteousness that is apart from me, it is not mine inherently, it belongs to Christ And what Christ does is when I come and put my trust in him, he imputes or he counts to me his righteousness. And on the basis of Christ's imputed righteousness, God declares me just. And at that very moment, I am accepted in Christ and accepted in the beloved. You consider the prodigal son this morning. What did this young man do of himself to deserve the father's embrace? What did he do to deserve the best robe that the father commanded his hired servants to bring and to place upon him? Absolutely nothing. This young man in himself was a rebel. He was one who rejected the father's house. He was filthy. He was unclean. He was feeding at the swine trough of the world. And yet the father in mercy and grace and compassion to this returning prodigal in repentance, the father says, bring now forth the best robe and put that best robe upon him. And that has been the experience of many here in the service this morning. 
The Father has considered our need. And he has met that need for us in Jesus Christ. You see the robe of perfect righteousness in which the believer is clothed is a free gift of God's amazing grace. It is not something that you as an individual have earned. It's not something that you can work for. It is not something that you at all have merited in your life. And that is why everything we hear about what the Father did to welcome his Son home is a picture of our Heavenly Father's amazing and unconditional grace and mercy towards the undeserving. And so every unclean, unrighteous, wayward son who comes in true repentance to the Father and trusts in Christ for salvation is clothed in this robe of Christ's perfect righteousness. And as the scripture relates to us and teaches us there in Isaiah 61 and 10, the believer now can say, I, I will greatly rejoice. And how could they not do? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And you will find that the, the source of this amazing robe of righteousness is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and in his glorious work. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 teaches to us, it says there that there is one God and that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And you will find as you study the truth of the uh, mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that a mediator has to do with two parties. Two parties who are at variance among themselves, between whom he stands as a middle person. His business is to bring these opposing parties together and to make peace between them. And such a one you see is Christ in his mediatorial work. He alone is qualified for this great task. He alone is the God-man. You see, as God, he is of one substance or essence with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and is equal in power and glory. But he is also, you see, truly man. He has two natures in one person forever. You see, the Son of God, he took upon him a human nature, a real and a perfect humanity. The scripture declares that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Over in Hebrews chapter 2 and the verse 17 it says, Wherefore in all things it behoved him, Christ, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. The two parties you will find at variance are God and his elect people. Now in their natural state, we are sinners at a great and at an immense distance from God, at enmity to him. We have broken his holy law. We are those who have affronted his justice. Christ has come and stands as a middle person, as a days man between rebels and between almighty God. He lays his hand upon both of them. 
He makes reconciliation for the sins of his people. And he brings them that were afar off nigh unto God. And he makes peace for them by the blood of his cross. Fulfilling the law and its precepts and in its penalty and satisfying divine justice there upon the cross as our substitute and as our sacrifice, dying the just for the unjust to redeem and reconcile us unto God. The robe of Christ's righteousness is imputed or credited to every product of the moment they are brought to faith in him. And through what Christ has accomplished in his life and in his death, his people are therefore declared righteous before Almighty God. Being clothed in this robe of righteousness, we are freed from all guilt and from all condemnation that was our due because it was laid upon the Lamb there upon Calvary's tree and payment God will not twice demand. First at our bleeding shirt, his hand and uh, then again at ours. And so we find that every one of God's children, they are wrapped around with a robe, a spotless, a, a seamless robe of righteousness. Its texture far excels the fine linen of this world's merchants or anything that they can produce. For whiteness it is purer than the driven snow. No limbs on earth could ever make this robe of perfect righteousness. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ spent the whole of his life to make my robe of righteousness for me. And the Lord Jesus Christ acting on behalf of his people. He perfectly kept the law of God that we had broken. And thereby worked out a perfect righteousness in his law-fulfilling life. Setting his face as a flint to go all the way to Calvary. To die the unjust. To die the just for the unjust. There was a drop of precious blood in every throw of the weaver's shuttle. And every thread of that precious robe was made of his own heart's agony as he suffered. There upon the accursed tree for you and for me. It is a robe that is divine. It is a robe in which we are clothed that is complete. It is a better robe than Adam ever wore in the perfection of Eden's garden. Adam had but a human righteousness, though a, a perfect one. But we have a divinely perfect righteousness. Woven by the greater Adam. Woven by the second Adam in his life and in his death. The royal robe of the greater King David is now wrapped about his beloved Jonathan. And here you are, believer, this morning you have much to praise and to thank the Lord for. Surely you can greatly rejoice in this, that you're robed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And you know, in, in consequence... Of all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ, he now appears for his people in the court of heaven. He intercedes and he pleads for us. He is there as our advocate. And he sees to it that all of those covenant blessings that he has won for us in his life and in his death, a 
of which he alone is the mediator, he, he makes sure that they are applied to all of his people. He preserves us in our persons. We have been committed into his care and into his charge. Safe even to everlasting happiness. And I say to you, child of God, this morning, was there ever such a, a robe woven that you have been clothed with, the robe of Christ, perfect righteousness? And therefore, let all believers know for their comfort that being robed with the imputed righteousness of Christ, I say to you this morning, there is enough. There's enough to satisfy the justice of God to the utmost farthing. And to remove forever all of his judicial anger and his fury from your head. The mediatorial righteousness of Christ, you see, is so perfect. It is so full. It is so exact. It is so complete. And it is so fully satisfactory to the justice of God that divine justice itself has to actually cry out, I have now enough, I require no more, I have found a ransom, and I am forever fully pacified towards you who are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have to to say, many a time, when a believer casts his or her eyes upon his or her many thousand sinful commissions and omissions that we commit in our own lives. No wonder we often fear and we often tremble in ourselves when we look inward, when we look at ourselves. Isn't that right? But then when the believer, through the scripture and through the leading and light of the Holy Spirit, when the believer then is caused to look away and upon Christ's satisfaction... He or she has to see themselves acquitted. And therefore they can rejoice in the robe of Christ's righteousness. For you see, for the believer there is now no charge. There is no accusation, you see, against the Lord Jesus Christ. And there can be therefore none against the believer. Because as he is even in glory, so are we in this world. You remember the Apostle Paul over there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. You can think of the the picture as it were in the courtroom scene. And the cry goes out, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And the cry goes up, it is God that justifies Because through the whole list of things that cannot condemn the believer because they are justified being clothed in the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. Also this morning you will find that the Father says there, put a ring upon his hand. Put a ring upon his hand. The ring is none other than the Father's signet. And like the robe before it, it reflects for us the status which the Son has now been restored to. 
Rings of this type in Old Testament times, they carried the family seal or crest engraved upon it. And those sons who wore such rings were able to conduct the father's business with his full authority. And this is none other, this ring given to the son is none other than the sign of sonship. And of being brought into the father's family. You see when God saves a sinner. He adopts him or her into his family. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us. That adoption is an act of God's free grace. Whereby we are received into the number. And have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. He is accepted now as a son into this family. What a blessing. And so are those who come to Christ and receive the robe of righteousness. They are adopted into the very family of God and have a right to all the privileges. That means of being the son of God. We enjoy unique privileges as those who are sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And this is something that we must ever keep in mind as we traverse this scene of time. You see, the problem is this, that too often we would focus upon the pressures of this life and the difficulties of our circumstances that we have to face every day. And what happens is we lose sight of the great privileges and the blessings that we possess in union with Jesus Christ. And yet the fact is this, that despite our circumstances, our position in Christ and our privileges through Christ, they never, ever, ever change. No matter what our current circumstances, we are already richly blessed in union with Christ. The Bible supplies us with a full list of blessings and of privileges without number that the Lord bestows upon us because we are actually his children members of his family we have the blessing of the indwelling spirit our father gives us the indwelling holy spirit to lead us and to guide us in his providence and therefore child of God you must realize That God who is your father loves you and that he will make even the hard circumstances that you have to face in this life work out for our good and ultimately for his glory. And you are to let the realization of this great truth be therefore an antidote against fear. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And you see, nothing, no matter what it might be, nothing comes to pass but what is ordained by God's decree or is ordered in our lives by his providence. Men around us and even the very powers of hell and of darkness, they are limited in their power. And they cannot go one hair's breadth further than God's, uh, God permits them to do so. Such as the one who is our sovereign Heavenly Father who leads us and guides us in his providence. Our Father gives us the Holy Spirit to supply us with power for service. We're weak in and of ourselves, isn't that right? Luke eleven thirteen. if ye then be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How we love to do that. 
We love to provide for our little ones and for our own children to the best of our ability. And yet the scripture goes on to say here, how much more, how much more exceeding abundant shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And the scripture says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Do we really at times believe these truths given to us in the word of God? Do we really lay hold of them in the place of prayer and in the experience of our lives? Our Father has promised to supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He has promised to give us comfort amid all of our trials, the trials of life that we have to face. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord, he pities them that fear him. Such is the tender, loving compassion of our Heavenly Father towards us. And he has promised to give us one day a glorious inheritance. Also we find here this morning that the Father says, put shoes on his feet. He receives this robe, he receives this ring, and we are told here, put shoes on his feet, said the Father. These shoes were placed in the tired feet of the prodigal. And so the sinner not only receives the imputed righteousness of Christ, the possession of his son, but you see his or her walk has changed forever. When a sinner comes to Christ, God gives him or her a new walk because of the new birth being created a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have to say this morning that after an individual is saved, he or she will find a a warring conflict within. They will find that the flesh often lusts against the spirit as the apostle Paul testified. He or she will find like Paul that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Romans 7 and verse 21. Like Paul, he or she will long to be delivered, longing ultimately one day to be with the Lord in glory. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ had a lot to say about our walk and about our progress in holiness in John 17. And there in the verse 17, he says, sanctify them, speaking of his people, knowing that they are frail and and simply like the dust. That when we're saved, this process of sanctification begins, the Holy Spirit enters, we are born of God, and he leads and he guides us in and through the truth of Scripture more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ, to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And so the Lord says in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And we are thinking here now about our progress as believers in the Christian life, progress in our walk with God, progress in overcoming sin daily and progress in living actually for the glory of God every day in our lives. And you see, this progress in our our walk with God is only possible by the enabling power of God, the Holy Spirit. And the means that he uses to direct and to guide us every day is none other than the word of God. And God's word is given, you see, believer, uh, not simply just for general information. It is given not just simply to be placed upon a shelf at home or to sit in some corner and to gather dust, but it is given to actually regulate our conduct as believers. It is given to enlighten our minds in the way wherein we should go and to actually mold our hearts in our work with God. 
We are taught in James 1 verse 21 to receive with meekness the engrafted or the implanted word of truth. And you see, what actually happens is through regular reading and regular study of the word of God, it will therefore give to us direction and understanding in the issues of life that we have to face. To the true believer who is seeking to follow the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, the word of God supplies us with an unerring chart by which to steer through the dangerous sea of life. That we have to face. And if we sincerely and diligently heed it and follow it. It will deliver us from disastrous rocks and our own experience. And it will direct us to safely to that heavenly harbor. God's word has been given so uh, to us so that the man of God may be perfect. And truly furnished unto all good works. And through the Holy Spirit applying the word of God to us in our walk, believers are therefore greatly strengthened and they are strengthened against the temptations and the corruptions of this old world, the flesh and the devil. No wonder we are taught in Ephesians 6.11 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You have an adversary believer. One who would seek to come against you every day and, and yet you have a, an armor here in which to put on. In which you'll be able to go on and go through with God and to grow in grace. And in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You will find finally as we close this morning. The returned prodigal he now shares in the feasting of the father's house. The father says bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You'll observe here the words of the father. He does not say here and let him eat. He doesn't say let him eat. But he says here let us eat. It is the father with the now reconciled sinner coming together. And they here in this picture of communing together. We read that they began to be merry. You see what we find here now is the famine is over in this young man's experience. The perishing with hunger is now past. He is now we find seated at the father's table. The table of endless provision and of uh, endless communion. And you see for us as the people of God. Salvation means not only forgiveness of sins and redemption from eternal torment, but it means actually entering into a rich and blessed life in union with the Lord Jesus Christ as we commune with him every day. As the scripture teaches to us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And I say to you this morning, there is excellent food provided For all those who will arise and come to him. There is a wonderful provision that is there for us. He has clothed us in the robe of his perfect righteousness. In which we stand this morning as those who are justified and accepted. We have that ring of sonship that has been placed upon our hand. And we have been adopted into the very family and fold of God. And we have a right to all the blessings and privileges of The sons of God. They're ours. To appropriate in and through. 
even the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We have today a a table of endless provision in which we sit this morning at communion with our Savior. And may we know this blessing even to our hearts and to our souls for those of us who are the Lord's. And that through the word this morning we might be enabled to lean more upon him and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one here this morning and you're still outside of Christ. You're still without a Savior. You've come to the house of God this morning and yet spiritually speaking you're still situated in the far country of sin. You're still feeding at the swine trough of the world that which can never truly satisfy your soul. There is found alone in Christ that which is needed to meet the need of your heart and your soul, eternally speaking. Would you not be brought to your senses today through the word? Would you not be like this young prodigal? Come to your senses, arise, realize that in the Father's house there's bread enough and to spare, that Christ is the bread of life, the great provision of the Father's house. And that you will arise and come to him this morning in true repentance and exercise faith in him. To you will be given these blessings of the Father's house. Entering into a rich blessing and union with the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts today and enable us to have the word applied to our souls. And we'll just close in a word of prayer this morning. Lord and dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee again for thy word that has been opened in our midst and we pray this morning that you will take that which has been of thyself we've been considering today the one who is the blessed holy spirit the one that has been sent into the world to reprove of sin righteousness and judgment to come the one who affects you and irresistibly calls the prodigals from the far country to the very blessing of the father's house for many of us father today we have entered into the riches of the blessings of the gospel. And we thank thee for every provision that has been made for us in Jesus Christ, for the robe of righteousness, for the ring of sonship, for the new walk that we have been given, the enabling grace through the word of God to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness, Uh, for this provision of being seated at the table of endless provision, I in one day of even entering into glory. And to be forever and eternally with the Lord. And in that sense that he will provide for us even there. So bless thy word to our hearts today. Draw backsliders we pray. Save the lost for Christ's sake. We ask these things today in Jesus name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen.